Thank you all for being here today. It's a, we've got a great crowd. We've got people here that have not been able to attend uh, with us for some time, and we're so thankful that you're back here and that, that you're in the assembly this morning. <coughs> also want to welcome those that are joining us by Zoom. Again, we're thankful that you have that technology and that opportunity to be with us. Callan, thank you for your prayer this morning. Uh, I do pray as well that the words that we will present from God's Word will be of benefit to each of us. You know, we're living in a time that, become, that our world has become more and more uh, connected through technology. Just as we mentioned Zoom, and there's so many things that connect us you know, uh, across large distances. But at the same time, I think we struggle in our personal relationships at times. You know, this year has presented a huge challenge for us. Uh, people have been isolated, but for health reasons, and people continue to be isolated. So that has brought on some struggles. You know, we've heard stories of people, and, and we know people in nursing homes and care facilities that have been affected by this because they have been isolated, and it has caused a great amount of strain on people. And that's something that, that we need to be aware of and, and, and work to, to help. But, you know, I want us to think about that, that we, we need human interaction. I read a, a, a part of a study recently that said that health risk associated with loneliness and social isolation are comparable to the dangers of smoking and obesity. It goes on to say that feelings... Uh, Feeling alone increases the risk of death by 26%, and is uh, social isolation uh, also increases mortality rates up to 32%. You know, we've heard of studies like this. We have heard of studies in orphanages in, in Europe where they take a group of children and, and they are given the basics of life. They're fed and, and their diapers are changed and, and just the basics are given and then another group that has those things on top of close social interaction. And, and the study just shows an Im immense difference in the two groups. God created us to have relationships. He put people in our lives and he built us so that we would, would respond to that. Now we think about this, this study that we talked about and, and the risk associated with loneliness. And we ask, why is that? You know, I'm not an expert on mental or physical health, but from the perspective of God's Word, the reason is that God created us for relationships. We were not created to be alone or to be totally self-dependent. You know, everything we do, everywhere we go, we are in relationship with other people. At home, we have a relationship with our spouse, our children, parents, grandparents, siblings, those relationships go on and on, and we have many connections in that way. But outside of that, we have relationships here in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have relationships just in our everyday life, the places that we go, the, the stores where we go to shop, the people that are there, the, the cashiers, the people that work there, the other shoppers. And I understand all these relationships are on a different level. We, we interact closely with some people. Some people we just have an acquaintance with. We speak to them when we see them. But all of these things are a part of our life, and it's something that makes us and helps us to be who we are. You know, the fact is we are affected by relationships every day, 
and people are affected either positively or negatively by their relationship with us. Our DNA is the very building block of who we are. God has placed within each human being a need to be with other people and a need for relationships. So when we think about this subject, I want us to start at the very beginning and understand that we must have a relationship with God. That is first and foremost. That is foundational. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. When we read the story of the creation, we see how that God spoke things into existence. But when it came to humankind, it says that God formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his life, the, into him the breath of life. God touched this part of his creation. We are special and we are different. And again, he has made us to have a relationship with him. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. God has a relationship with each and every one of us as human beings and us as his children. Just as he told Jeremiah, he knew you before you were ever conceived. And isn't that an amazing thought that our creator, the creator of the universe, knew us in a personal way long before we were born. We talked about Genesis 2 and verse 7 where God formed man and it was just a few verses later that God realized that man should not be alone. Genesis 2 and verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God created for Adam a help. He said a help meet. That is someone that is suitable, a relationship that was suitable for Adam, a relationship that would help him to fulfill, fulfill his potential. We all have a great need for a relationship with God. And as I said, it is the most important relationship of all. God is our creator, and he has created us to need him. Now, there are those in, that we encounter that may completely deny God. There are some that profess God, but through their actions and their words, we see that that, that is not a strong faith. The fact is, we all need God, whether we like it or not. In describing God, Paul said... In him we live, move, and have our being. Without God, we wouldn't exist. Furthermore, we all have a relationship with God, whether we want it or not. We, as we have read, or as we will read in Scripture, we are created in God's image. We are spiritual beings, and as spiritual beings, there is a direct connection or relationship between us and God. Now, as I said, we may not have that close personal relationship from our standpoint, but we all have a relationship with God nonetheless. And whether we realize it or not, we are spirit and our soul yearns to be with God. You know, if you ask people today what it would take to make them happy, we can get any number of answers. Success, money, uh, personal gain, uh, good looks, popularity, prestige. There's so many things that pe people might name 
that they would say would make them happy. But, you know, we see time and time again that people have these things and so much more, and they're not happy. They continue to look for something else. We as human beings have a yearning within us, a craving within us for more, to have a relationship with a higher power. Without God, there is a great void in our life, and only God can fulfill that place. Again, let's go back to the very beginning where God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden. God did not design them to live without him. Only God can fill our deepest need. If you would like to turn to John, the fourth chapter, I'm going to read several verses here, and I want to read a passage that is very familiar to us, one that, that we look at often, but I want to read these verses and, and, uh, and make some application this morning. Let's begin in John 4, verses 5, in verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a, Samarit a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink, Thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof, himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. Now that's a rather lengthy reading, but I've, I've thought it was good for us to look at that and look at the context here. Christ, on, uh, on his travel, he goes and he sits at this well and he meets this Samaritan woman. And they have this interaction and he asked her for a drink and, and she was somewhat confused because she said, the Jews don't have anything to do, to do with the Samaritans. Why do you ask me to give you a drink? Christ realized and he knew a need in this woman's life. We see through the reading that this woman had had five failed relationships. Christ was pointing out to her that she had been looking for what she knew she needed, the needs that she had as a human being in the wrong places. He said, you've had five broken relationships, but he said, I can give you what you really need. He said, I have that living water. Let's take this thought process into our own lives 
and understand that God has given us people, he's given us relationships, and they are there for a reason, but our greatest need is Jesus Christ himself. And it's only in that relationship that we can be fulfilled, and only in that relationship that all other relationships fall into place. We all have needs that only God can meet. There are four very primary needs that we as human beings have, and that's acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. And if we look at those things, and we look at them very honestly, we understand and know that those are things that no human being can provide. We're not always going to be accepted by all people. Our identity is not in what I do, not my profession, not who my family is, but my identity is in Jesus Christ. My security is in Jesus Christ, and my purpose is in Jesus Christ. People meet our secondary needs, but not our primary needs, and I hope that we will always keep that in perspective you know, every relationship that we involve ourselves in make us vulnerable in some way. There are risks involved. There are expectations of us within those relationships. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes relationships end. But the point is that not that we live our lives for these relationships, but rather that we live life through these relationships and that being filtered through the lens of our own relationship with God. Several days ago, Rhonda and I had a conversation. We were just sitting at the kitchen table, and she asked me a question. She said, what do you wish you had known 30 years ago? What do you know today that you wish you would have known 30 years ago? And we actually just started writing that down. We made a list of about 20 things. And as we talked about that, we realized that everything that we stated, everything that we put on that list had to do with a relationship in our lives. And so I want to share those things with you. I want to use those things, that, those, the thought process that we wrote down, and I want to share those with you so that, that we all can, can draw from it. I think it's something that, that we can, can learn from. And to give that some perspective, 30 years ago, I was 25 years old. I'd been married about five years, and our oldest son was an infant. So a lot of things have changed since that time, and, and I do hope that I've learned. I know I have. I've learned some things the hard way, and some things it's taken me a long time to, uh, to learn. But I want to just share with you a few of those. The first one, and... and before I say this, I want y'all to, to realize some, some of this has some humor in it, and as Rhonda and I were talking about this, but uh, one thing I've learned is that men and women are different. And as I said, that's, that's obvious, I know, but let me qualify that. You know, I went into marriage thinking that everybody thought like I did. I thought that Rhonda, her emotions and the way she responded would be just like me. And uh, that's simply not true. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then skip on down to verse 27. He said, So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Sometimes I think we read these verses and we just kind of skip through it. But I want us to understand that God had a very intentional purpose when he created man and woman. And in that creation, he, it states he, he created us differently. He created women with very different emotions. He created them with the ability to nurture. He created them with, uh, with characteristics that help us as men to do what we do. God created us differently, and I hope that we will embrace that. As I said, I went into marriage really not understanding that. But it is so beautiful when we look at God's plan because he created us to complement one another and to complete one another. And so let's embrace those differences and understand that, that our spouse, they may be different. That doesn't make them wrong. It just, we need to come to the realization that God made them that way. Let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 33. Uh, Ephesians 5 gives us great insight into the family unit and into family relationships. Verse 33, I think, is a very simple equation that helps us to work through what we see in marriage. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. God created us very differently. He created women, and they have a great need to feel loved, to feel secure, to feel accepted. He created men with a great need to be respected. And as I said, this is a very short and simple verse, but I think it gives us such a great formula within the uh, relationship of marriage. When we do those things, when we do what we're commanded as a wife and as a husband, those things work together to fulfill God's purpose. Another thing I've learned is that we need to be very intentional as we raise and train our children. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, Proverbs is filled with so much good advice. This verse tells us that we are to train children in the way they should go. You know, we are so blessed to have so many young families in this congregation. We have got so many young people, babies, and it's such a blessing when we think about that. That also presents challenges, and I want you to understand, young parents, that each child is unique. Some children are very easy to train. Some are extremely self-willed. And it takes diligent and intentional teaching to bring about the result that you want. And I want you to understand all as parents that you're in this together. You have a great blessing to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And understand that you all have the same goal. You all want to raise godly children. So don't be judgmental of one another. You know, I can look back at the, the people that raised children when I was, when, when Rhonda and I were, and we all had different styles, different parenting styles, but again, we had the same purpose. And so I encourage you to draw strength from one another and look to each other for ways that you can better help and equip your families 
to fulfill that purpose. Psalms 127 and verse 3 says, Lo, children are in the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I think Psalms 127 is, is one of my favorite psalms. And I, when you read that in its entirety, you see a very beautiful picture that, that is painted about the family unit and what a great blessing it is. What a great blessing it is and also what a responsibility it is for parents as you're training children. I would encourage you young uh, parents to be intentional as you raise your children. Uh, understand that, as I said, every, children, every child is different and, and it takes a different approach. I think about parenting and as, as your role changes, you know, we, we think about all these young children that we have, but it won't be long that your, your role as parents will transition into teenagers. And I think about that analogy of flying a kite, and, and probably most of you have read that, how a person that's flying a kite, you slowly let that string out and you let the kite fly. Sometimes you have to have, pull it back in, you have to have some amount of control, but yet you've got to let the kite move with the wind. And I think we need to think about that analogy as we raise kids and specifically talking about teenagers and, and as they grow. You know, it's difficult. It's difficult as a parent sometimes to, to let, the, let the line out. We're so afraid that our kids are going to make a mistake, and they are. And that's, that's the reality of it. They're going to make mistakes. But if we continue to guide, if we continue to help them, then they're going to learn how to function. They're going to learn how to respond in relationships. And above all, they're going to learn how to respond to our Heavenly Father. Again, let me just be, encourage you to be intentional. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Understand that discipline is a part of it. It's not a pleasant part, but it's something that we have to do as we train children. Another thing that I knew 30 years ago, but I've come to a greater understanding of, is that the people right here in this congregation are the people that I know that I can depend on. Let me clarify that. 35 years ago, when I got married, there were people in the wedding party that are no longer in my life. There were people that were in my life at the time, but they no longer, they're not people that I interact with. That's not because they're bad people. It's because their life took a different course than, my, than mine. We have different interests. But I have come to know through the years that this group of people are the ones that are always there and always will be there through the difficulties of life. And you, we have all experienced it. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. 
we can draw strength from one another. We can equip each other to be what we need to be. As I think about relationships and, and things that happen in our life, you know, whether it's the birth of a child or a wedding, these joyous occasions, my brothers and sisters in Christ are there to celebrate and enjoy those blessings with me. On the other hand, we have all walked through difficult times. We have lost parents. We have lost loved ones. We have suffered any number of difficulties. And the people right here are the ones that we know will always be there. I think about when my dad passed away. Rhonda and I walked out of the room in the hospital, and there was a whole hallway full of people. Just a few weeks ago, we lost Glenda. And it was just a matter of hours till there were people in the house and more food in the kitchen than we could ever eat. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I recall a time in my life, several years ago, I was struggling and, and really didn't know it at the time, but I developed somewhat of a negative attitude. And I had a brother in Christ came to me, he came to me and he sat me down and he talked about this with me. And he gave me guidance that I believe really made a large difference in my life. Had it not been for that, I think the result would have been very different. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for relationships that I have here in this congregation and this group of people that I know have made my life better. I also look at scripture and we see examples of Ruth and the commitment she had to her mother-in-law, to the uh, relationship that J David and Jonathan had. These are relationships that last a lifetime and again help us to be who we need to be. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's something that I believe this congregation does so well, is to encourage one another, and I hope that we will always be that way. Thirty years ago I knew, but I've come to a greater understanding that hurtful words damage relationships. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief, chief friends. How many times have we heard sermons from this pulpit about the use of the tongue and how words affect other people? James speaks very specifically to the use of the tongue and, and what a great danger it is if it's used improperly. Let's be careful. Let's think about other people and the struggles that are going through. You know, I can look at other people and make a judgment about their actions. I may not have any clue as to what they're going through, what struggle they may have. And so I need to be sympathetic and compassionate about that before I open my mouth. Again, I think back to a time when someone took the time and loved me enough 
to sit down with me and point out a difficulty in my life. Rather than talking about it, he acted on that, and he was a great help to me. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, There, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Let's understand that our words can be like weapons. They can tear down relationships and they can cause damage that it will take years to repair. On the other hand, our words can offer healing. Our words can offer comfort. Again, let's be careful and let's walk a mile in the other guy's shoes before we make a judgment. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Harsh words, harsh judgments, have no place in the life of a Christian. Another one that I wished I had real, realized sooner is that work has to be done, but it's not my primary purpose. Psalms 127 and verse 2 says, and this is from the New Revised Standard Version, it says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. As I said, work is essential, and we have Scripture that gives us direction in how we should provide. But we've got to understand that's not the focus of our life. That's not where our identity lies. We have such a greater purpose in, in our life, and that is to guide those around us and to have relationships that are effective. Let me say to you young men that are dads right now, if you leave your children when they're in bed and you get home and they're abed, in bed again, you miss out on great opportunities and, quite frankly, your responsibility in guiding those children. You deprive yourselves and them of the time to influence them in a positive way. Another verse, Proverbs 23 and verse 4 in the New King James Version says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. He simply says, stop. Don't overwork. Don't have a purpose. Don't be so driven that that's the only thing we think about. Let's realize that our job provides us with the opportunity to take care of our family and to make that the focus and the drive of our life. In every situation, extend grace and mercy. I'm going to tell you this is a, a place that I've struggled with. I have not been as compassionate as I should. But God's Word directs us to give grace. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let's consider the grace that God has extended to us. What an amazing gift that is. We, in turn, have a responsibility and a privilege to extend grace to others. Again, I don't know what all your struggles are. I don't know what you've gone through on a personal basis every day. But 
may I always and may we always extend that grace to one another. Colossians 3 verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. As I said, everyone's going through something, so let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's always put the very best construction on any situation and give people grace. When thinking about this, I, I believe that we can always learn something from the prodigal son. You know, when we think about those who have, have walked away from Christ, and we, that story of the prodigal son, it says he went into a far country. And he ended up in such a situation that he was willing or uh, thought about eating what he was feeding to the pigs. He had gone so far away from the father, and he was in such dire circumstance. But he saw where he was at, and he returned. He went back to the father. He returned from that far land. I want us to understand, and again, extend grace to people, because there are those that we have personal contact with that have been in that far country, and they've come back. And what a perspective they have. They have a perspective that I don't have. They are able to relate to people. And, and I think of, of people that we all know, J.R. Smith and, and Jim Hayes. These are guys that have been very vocal in where they once were and where they are now. And what a great help they can be. They are able to relate to others and help them through their own struggles. Compassion is one of the greatest gifts that you can give. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. As I said, let's be compassionate. Let's extend grace. Another thing that I've learned is that time is precious. There's absolutely no way that I can put a value on what we can learn from the generation ahead of us. Young people, let me encourage you to spend time with parents and grandparents and really listen to what they have to say. Proverbs 16 and verse 31 says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. You know, I think about those, the, the generation before me, and I'm thankful for the leadership that they've provided. I'm thankful for the influence that they've had in my life. You know, I think about, I think about my dad, and when I was a kid, he, would, he, he loved to think about or to draw on relationships and extended family, and he would tell me, well, you know, this person's kin to this person, and, and he would make all these connections, and, and it kind of I would glaze over at times and I don't know how many times since he's been gone that I've I have seen somebody extended family and I'm trying to put it all together and figure out what the connection is I wish I'd listened to what he had to say and not just things like that but you know those that have lived life and have experienced life have so much to offer us and and let's never discount that let's take advantage of that great resource that we have 
one that I don't have on the PowerPoint. I wanted to read Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. It says, Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day before the Lord your God. I'm sorry, I've, verse 9 is what I wanted. Uh, and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Like I say, that wasn't on the PowerPoint. And I apologize, I got off track there. This verse, Moses talks uh, about having an influence for generations to come. He said, teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons. Again, let's take advantage of the resource that we have in those that have lived before us. Another thing that I think about when when I think of those that are older, I remember 30 years ago, there are people that I thought were so much older than me. There was such an age difference. But, you know, those people have become some of my closest friends. And I'm so thankful for that, that as we grow and as we mature, that relationships, really, age difference uh, has no bearing on those. Again, we have a commonality with our brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what our age difference is. I wish I'd learned to listen sooner and not be so worried about my own opinion. James 1 verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. How many times have my words got me in trouble. A very interesting verse when I looked at the New King James, Proverbs 18 and verse 2, it says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. You know, we all have an opinion. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But we all have an opinion. But that's what it is, is an opinion. And let's, let's give others that opportunity as well. Let's don't be so worried about what our response is or what our opinion is, but let's truly listen. Just a few days uh, before Glenda passed away, Rhonda and I were in the hospital with her and she was telling us some things that, that she wanted us to know. She looked at Rhonda and she said, you can have, she said, you can have a great influence on people. She said, just tell people that you love them. When people feel loved, they act differently. They relate differently. They're just different. So let's love in every relationship. You know, if we knew that we just had hours to live, how would we react? I'd like for us all to ask ourselves that question. If we had a short time to live, what would we do differently? My admonition this morning is don't wait. Let's do it now. Let's seek the greatest relationship of all, 
and allow that to be guidance in every relationship that we have. If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, the Lord's invitation is always open. We will stand and, and sing a song, and if you have a need in your life, if you've been taught and would like to respond to that invitation, if you're here and you think that the, church, the prayers of the church would be of help to you, we would ask you to come as well. So would you come as we stand and sing?